0: Unity Water is proud to sponsor this podcast series because we believe great news, great solutions and great outcomes deserve to be shared. See what we're all about at unitywater.com. You're listening to the Australian Water Association's podcast series. I'm Hazel Flynn and joining me now is Dr. Peter Nadebaum, Principal Environment at GHD, talking to us about those troublesome substances known as PFAS. Hello, thanks for joining us. Good, Hazel, yep. So, tell us about them, what they are, why they're a problem. Uh,
1: PFAS, um, they're very prevalent in, uh, you know, being used very widely. And what's what's happened over the last decade is is that it's become apparent that these are present in the environment and they're potentially causing a problem to humans and also to uh, ecological systems. And so what's been determined is that um, there's been significant use in particular areas, particularly related to firefighting, for example, and and that's resulted in relatively high concentrations of these PFAS compounds and um, in particular areas, and that's Uh, caused problems with regard to uh, contamination of water, soil, and eventually getting into animals, fish, and so forth. And so it's this realisation that uh, the PFAS uh, uh, are quite widely found uh, that's caused a, a great focus on them. And so a lot of money is now being spent on identifying where these PFAS compounds are uh, whether they're posing a problem and therefore what the response is and one of the great difficulties with with PFAS is that um, they're bioaccumulative and so what, ha- what happens is that relatively small concentrations, very low concentrations in water for example can magnify up in fish and so almost undetectable concentrations in water can result in very unacceptable concentrations in in fish and some other organisms, and um, and it's that that problem which has tended to, to focus the issue. And uh, the, these compounds also bioaccumulate in humans, and so we can measure it, and that's caused a lot of concern. We can see that it's in our bodies, it's in fish, and things like that. Um, in certain areas, it's not. You know, throughout the environment. But um, it's because we can measure it, we can see it, and it's causing consternation and um, concern that we should be minimising this, we should be avoiding it if possible. And so a lot of money is being directed towards that very area of I- identifying where these problems are and, and minimising them.
0: And as you say, these um, the PFAS, the per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, Firefighting foam was one of the things you mentioned, and sure. that's obviously been in the news lately. It's been of great concern in certain areas, but, I mean, they're used in things like pizza boxes, is that right? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, look, they're very widespread, and, you know, obviously, you know, Teflon, you know, where people have been using it for a long time, but they're much more widely spread than that. They're into, you know, you'll find it in carpets, in, you know, leather protection, stain protection, you know, Gore-Tex, you'll find these substances very widely spread in the environment, and and all different types of PFAS, you know, there's a lot of range in chemical terms. Um, And, you know, know, firefighting and fire protection has been particularly singled out because, you know, there's large, relatively large quantities that have been used in fire training, and that's been released to the environment, whereas a lot of these other substances uh, will be attached to leather and carpet and so forth and that, that material is disposed of but it's disposed of in a, in a solid form a lot of it and it goes into landfills and things like that and so the amount that is released to the environment and the rate of which it's released to the environment is, is less and so it's more these areas where there's been direct release in relatively large quantities that has, has caused the focus.
0: And you mentioned Teflon too am I right in recalling that i think dupont has stopped making teflon for lining of pans they've switched to a different substance for this reason
1: um look there's been a lot of phasing out of the pfas compounds uh, to my knowledge they're still being used quite widely um yeah there is a lot of effort in firefighting for example to identify alternative you know, non-fluorine Com, uh, containing compounds but but the difficulty is that they they are very effective compounds you know, and if you want to put out a fire which is the primary purpose for example um, yeah, you've got to be pretty careful about using alternative compounds which which won't be as effective because the primary issue is to put the fire out <laughs> and save people's lives um, and uh, if you're going to use something an alternative which is not as good uh, it's it's a, you know, a difficulty so you know, in terms of phasing out, yes, there's a lot of effort to try and phase out these compounds, but there's still a lot in use and still countries manufacturing them.
0: And what kinds of specific problems do they cause? I mean, you talked about them accumulating in organisms. What problems do they cause in humans and in other um, parts of the environment?
1: Well, it's a, look, it's a very interesting issue. Mm-hmm. Um, And you know, it's it's been a subject of considerable focus by our health departments, for example, in Australia, to try and work out well just what is the problem with these compounds, and you know, are they causing a problem? And there was an independent review. On go back one step on a precautionary basis because we can measure it, and we can see that accumulating in people. So the health department's response to that is concern we need to set criteria which are which are very stringent which will make sure and you know that to minimize people's uptake of these compounds on, on a precautionary basis and then um, the question is well what effects are they actually having and there was an independent review commissioned by the Health Department uh, Commonwealth Health Department um, and uh, released only on Monday and and that was a group of uh, you know, independent experts reviewing the issue and, and they came to the conclusion that there still wasn't persuasive evidence of particular health effects. They went through a whole lot of possible health effects which have been, you know, flagged by international agencies, by Australian agencies, there's been studies and things like that and they looked at the the evidence to see if in fact there are persuasive, you know, there's good evidence to show that there is actual health effects to humans and, and the jury is still out of it. You know, even though we're spending a large amount of money to minimise, you know, exposure, which is, I think, a precautionary good response, but um, we're doing it on a precautionary basis without necessarily having very clear evidence that people are getting sick as a result of this exposure.
0: Do you think that's because we haven't been studying it for long enough? Is it a relatively recent awareness that there might be an issue? Well, look,
1: that's, that's an interesting question in its own right, because we have been using these compounds for a long time, you know, for you know, many decades. And, um, and there's been some very substantial um, occupational exposures. You know, and there are groups in the community, you know, firefighters and things like that, have had quite a considerable exposure. But it, it's, it's hard to track down, in fact, that even with these relatively highly exposed groups, that there is serious effect and so that's obviously what the epidemiologists the health people look for to see you know, if we can see these health effects in these more highly exposed groups and look you it's actually not an easy thing to sort out and sift out from other effects and other causes uh, as to whether or not it's related to this particular uh, group of chemicals and so so that's the that's the problem that we face so so the response of our agencies is to say, we don't quite know, but let's nevertheless minimise exposure. Let's put very tight controls on these things. Let's spend, in fact, a lot of money you know, minimising uh, this problem.
0: Can you get that genie back in the bottle?
1: Um, in, in what way, Hazel? In the sense
0: that you said that they were so widespread in the environment that talking about having strict controls on them, is that feasible?
1: Yeah, well, look, there's there's two different approaches actually. Two, one way is to tackle that, you know, in terms of manufacturing use, and you can see that now that the, you know, these used to these compounds used to be widely spread around in fire training, for example, yeah, you know, where you would discharge as a as a matter of requirement, you know, to train your fire fighters, you'd have to spray it around and, and, and check that all your systems were working and things like that. And so it was a matter of requirement that, yeah, relatively large quantities were sprayed around. Um, you know, now that's all stopped. Um, and now that, you know, there'll be training with other materials and things like that. And, um, and so that, you know, a lot of this release to the environment has basically drawn right back and stopped or largely ceased. And so what you see now is in studies is that the amount of uh, PFAS in people's blood, for example, is decreasing over, you know, over the last few decades. It's, it's decreasing remarkably. You know? And uh, so that's reflecting the fact that PFAS um, is being much less used and released to the environment. N- nevertheless, there are concentrations of PFAS in areas where it has been used. Um, you know, significantly, for example, in firefighting. And so in those areas, um, you'll you'll find uh, concentrations in what we call source areas, you know, where this material might be present and might leach out, you know, release from those areas. And um, so what what the focus is now is on, uh, you know, it's it's several fold. It's, It's really identifying these source areas and controlling those. And so if you control those, you'll stop the leaching and, you know, moving out into the environment. And so quite uh, in an additive way, you'll be having stopped the use, that's decreasing. Uh, having contained and controlling the source areas, that will further, you know, accelerate the decrease in the environment. You know, where the, where the materials got into groundwater and into the broader environment, it's very difficult to do anything. Uh, about that and so it's probably one more of seeing this um, this, this contamination decrease with time you know, unless there is something very urgent you know, if people are drinking it then you can stop them drinking it and give them alternative water supplies and things like that. You, know, you might be able to cut off the groundwater and things like that uh, and stop these issues but it's much more difficult if, if this material, if these PFAS have actually got out and distributed. Very difficult to do anything about that.
0: So we have much yet to learn.
1: Well, we've got a lot to learn. (laughs) And from a technical point of view, it's a very interesting issue.
0: Indeed. Well, thank you for coming in and sharing your expertise with us. Good. That was uh, Dr. Peter Naderbaum, Principal of Environment at GHD. And thanks for listening.